We continue in God's word this morning in the prophet Micah, chapter 3, beginning in the third, uh, the first verse. And I said, hear you, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off my people and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made the deeds evil, their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice, make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with inequity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house of a wooden height. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. In a symphony, there are several movements, often centered around a theme that comes back over and over again as a refrain. Until the audience doesn't just hear it, they feel it. And it returns, and as it returns, they come to expect to know where it's going. This is also true of great sagas, right? We begin to anticipate and foreshadow what is to come, like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings or C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia or even more recently Rowling's Harry Potter. The epic battle builds and retreats and recapitulates some of the same storyline. And we wonder, will the bad guys who think they've got it right win? But that refrain of good versus evil continues. And the unassuming sacrificial hero emerges. This doesn't just get played out in symphonies. 
or on epic storylines. We hear it in Micah. It gets played out in real life. In chapter 3 of Micah, we enter into the second movement of the message of this prophet. In chapters 3 and 4 and 5, this movement continues. And if he wasn't crazy enough, as the refrain plays on now in chapter 3, if he wasn't crazy enough in chapter 1, and if you see it in verse 8, you'll see it there, where he's preaching naked, which I didn't focus too much on a couple weeks ago. You now get an even more vivid picture of our mess in comparison to God's masterpiece. A whole new level of artwork going on here, macabre, really. I mean, look away. I mean, skin being torn, body parts being chopped up and put in the cauldron. Why does Micah get so extreme? Well, because he's playing a refrain, a refrain that we don't want to hear. That the priests and prophets and judicial and political leaders of his day for whom he was preaching to did not want to hear. We love, you and me, we love to read into the scriptures just exactly what we want to hear. It's like bringing an expert into a case to prove your point instead of giving evidence towards what really is, they just use their expertise to point you to hear what their lawyer wants you to hear. We need a different advocate. We need the Holy Spirit to help us not just interpret the scriptures, but to be interpreted, as one scholar puts it, by them, to be read by the scriptures. Listen, it's so easy. It's so easy to unwittingly just believe what you want to hear. I became a living sermon illustration this last weekend, actually, when my means of illustrating Micah's point in chapter 2 by going to Rehoboam's unwillingness to hear the elders in 2 Chronicles 10, when I told that story, I also told it in light of something I knew for the last 25 years of studying the Bible. I knew that Jeroboam and Rehoboam were brothers. That is, until one sweet sister and brother in Christ said, I don't think they're brothers. I went back to my Bible and said, you're right. I use that as an illustration. It's true the content of what happened with Rehoboam continues to be true, but the fact that Rehoboam and Jeroboam were rivals is true, but as brothers, not so much. I got it wrong. I do not like being a living sermon illustration. But the reality is that all of us need to come under the scriptures carefully. All of us need to be read by the word and not just assume what we want to hear. Who knows why I thought they were brothers? Because their names rhyme together? I don't know. 
But somehow when I read the scriptures, I read that as fact for all these years. It's so easy if we're not reading it carefully and being read and having our lives read through the power of the Holy Spirit to get it wrong. And the sad reality is the people, the political leaders, the priests, the prophets in Micah didn't want to hear it. And so he's replaying this refrain that we heard in chapters 1 and 2, again now in chapter 3. It's just like folks who don't want to step on a scale after six months of snacking nonstop in quarantine, right? But not getting on the scale doesn't take away from its reality. In this 8th century B.C. tragedy, we have to ask, will they finally listen? Will there be hope? Maybe we should ask a better question. Will we finally listen to the Lord speaking, not just to the leaders as Micah was, but to certainly our leaders today, but to all of us as well. Will we listen to the Lord speaking to us today when it comes to our sin? Returning to that same theme, Micah tells us that the leaders who should have been preaching justice and mercy were instead preaching a false gospel without the law. Listen to me, my friends. It breaks my heart as your pastor when you and I or any of us mistake God's grace for permission. That's what was going on in Micah. After all, they said, come on now. God is a merciful God. The implication is, of course, that is true. But the implication was, and he'll let us do whatever we want. Lord, help us if we say to God what we so often flippantly say to each other. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously calls that cheap grace. Seeking forgiveness without repentance. And so now as the scholars articulate, and I share with you again today, this is the last of a triad of judgment oracles. And this movement that now begins in chapter 3 and ends in chapter 5, it represents the literary climax of chapter 3, And he's interested in not just merely the political and judicial leaders, but also the prophets who were preaching what people wanted to hear because they paid them, including even the priests. Thus, in one fail swoop, a scholar writes, this oracle is a comprehensive indictment of the entire leadership of all those in authority. Unless you think that he's just thinking of our leaders, and he is, then and for us now, he's speaking to all those with authority. And guess what? That includes you and me, for we have authority. And the authority of our daily vocation in office as father or mother, as son or daughter, as student or teacher, 
as employee or employer, in whatever office you hold in daily life, God is calling you to adjudicate your authority in light of God's word. It's as if Micah is shouting on the deck of the Titanic that an iceberg is coming and no one wants to listen. They're busy dancing away in a beautiful ballroom. And no matter how beautiful of a ballroom you and I are dancing in right now, unless we listen to the word of God and hear this refrain that keeps coming back to us in chapter 3 today, a crash is coming. So at the risk of us getting bored or tired of having to listen to the same old song by Micah, or maybe you're thinking, oh, that's that old-time religion. They're just talking about our sin. Well, friends, we stop listening at our own risk. For all of those of us with authority are guilty. And those who should know the justice of God, Micah preaches, are trading it in for power and greed. Oh, they just want that money. They knew God was merciful, and so they use that to preach cheap grace falsely. And that leads us to the gloomiest of images. He describes the leaders and their behavior like cannibals in a gory image. A gory image that talks about flesh being torn and bodies being cut up. Leading, the scripture says, people astray. And that word astray in Hebrew conjures up an image of stumbling, drunkenness, not a straight line. And so we must listen, comparing the good testimony filled by the power of the Holy Spirit that he preaches with the false as one scholar puts it, a quick perusal of the Ten Commandments will show that God requires us to preserve life and the well-being of our fellow humanity and respect the property that God has given to others and not covet the blessings enjoyed by others and by our neighbors. And so false prophets, as they did then continue to do now. Let's compare there and Micah for just a moment. The false prophets confirmed by Micah were motivated by personal gain compared to true prophets who sacrificed their well-being for the truth. True prophets, as Bruce Walker will go into and describe, had insight into Israel's history from a sympathy with God's kingdom perspective. False prophets had only one perspective, their own good. True prophets, he'll go on to write, are conditioned that the nation's well-being is based on their fidelity to God, the one true God. Whereas false prophets arrogantly think that truth is centered around themselves. False prophets think about personal gain. True prophets Think only the gain for the one true God. Micah kept the people in direct contact, Walker writes, with the words of with the words of their covenantal God. 
Whereas opponents would want them to turn their direction away from this crazy maniac prophet. True prophets preach with burning luminosity for us to really see what really is. Friends, this wasn't just back then. We have all kinds of false prophets today. From those of the prosperity gospel that say, come and give and God will bless you. You don't have to carry a cross. And those sanctuaries get full with folks hoping that they can somehow trick God into giving them what they really want. And then there's the progressive theology of our day that like the prophets in Prophet Micah say, oh, come on, God is a God of mercy. You don't have to worry about what you're doing. That doesn't matter. Another false prophet. Or how about the false teaching of Islam that we got pictured and reminded of in the anniversary of September 11th these past few days that led Islamic terrorists to bring evil among us. Compare that to those who would go up the tower sacrificially like our firefighters and police officers and gave their lives for others. You see, God cares about true teaching, right teaching from His Word that impacts our hearts and what we believe and how we live. Maybe you're a skeptic. And skeptics are welcome here. I'm grateful for your questions. A skeptic might ask, well, what was their personal motivation? Well, Micah's only motivation was the one true God. He sacrificed everything else, even being accepted among his fellow prophets. Think about this for a moment. As macabre as imagery that Micah gave of this wordplay of what destruction would come, Jesus actually lived it. He actually, literally had his skin torn from him when he was flogged. He literally became a piece of meat hung on the cross for us because of our sin. And he was sinless. He did that because our sin is so vile. And no gain for himself, the gain only ours. And as we hear him proclaim from the cross and echo the words of the psalm and say, Father, why have you forsaken me? God literally turned his face away from him. We hear about that in Micah. Micah tells us that that God will turn his face away from the false teaching of those false prophets, turn his face away from us. Luther explains that when God turns his face towards us, we have his favor and his blessing. And when he turns his face away from us, his rejection and anger. 
Micah is calling to mind the great ironic blessing that we hear at the end of our services. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. He's telling the people that that's going away. But what does Jesus do on the cross? He takes on that curse. He endures God's face turning away from him, the Father turning away from him for our sake because of our sin. And so this should draw us back to the one true God with repentant heart. The God who invites us to look honestly at our sin and know that he deals with it by paying for it on the cross. The apostles were true preachers as well. Unlike these false prophets, they didn't get any financial gain. No worldly power. No no worldly good at all. Only Their only motivation, and they had every motivation to hide, every motivation to go back to their old lives, except for the truth of God's word, the promise of salvation. And they carried the cross. Each one of them, save one, were martyred for proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And so if you are a skeptic, then consider why they would do that if it wasn't the truth. So Jesus, who was innocent, bore what you and I deserve. He lays down his life for us so that we can live. The good news of the gospel, as one author put it, is that he came to deliver us from the appalling, macabre condemnation that Micah writes about. Jesus died on the cross for the sins that he did not commit, but we did. So later, the Apostle Paul will deliver a glorious message. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. But that doesn't, as that author will write, as Micah points out, give us any reason to excuse our sins and every reason to bring it to the foot of the cross. No evil can stand in the face of Jesus' incredible act of sacrifice. That's why we must worship this amazing God today and humble ourselves as the prophet, or as the Psalms, excuse me, remind us, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a contrite heart. Oh God, this he will not despise. Now next week in chapter 4, looked at my notes, and I've got the word promise written everywhere. It won't be quite so macabre, God's masterpiece in chapter 4. But let's let this week, the reality of our mess, the horror of it, the horror that Micah described, the horror that Jesus endured because of that for our sake. Let that refrain sing in our ears. Let that truth of that symphony come before us today so we can come back to him again in repentance. Let us not close our ears to what the Holy Spirit is saying. May we not just hear the music, but feel the moving of the Holy Spirit. Not get swept away on my take or your take, 
but instead on God's take on us. Let's not ignore God's holy word and mistake grace for permission or law for self-justification. Let the movement of God's masterpiece, as macabre as the cross may be, sweep upon us with, yes, its beauty. And so that we can cry as the psalmist does, restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.